The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins a national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Oh, Ty was a warrior. The Hawks are going to Omaha. Trackouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. Borderline erotic. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Maybe it's the picture-perfect weather that I'm experiencing right now here at the booth at Baum Stadium where the skies are completely clear, nothing but blue, uh, bright and sunny. It is nice and warm. Uh, That's making me feel those weekend vibes. Or maybe it's that I'm looking on my iPad and my co-host looks like he's ready to go on vacation because that's what he's got planned, too, coming up here later on in the weekend. But, Ty, you look like you're ready to almost do the show from a swimming pool. I'm ready to go, man. I mean, you got the swim trunks on and everything. You got the sunglasses. Uh, did Did you lather up? Did you put on some SPF before you got inside the studio today? I'm as wide as Frosty the Snowman, so I'm going to have to do that later today. Uh, at some point in time, because I'm not trying to get the burnt the first time I go out. So we'll see what happens on that end. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. Got a good good weekend plan. We'll get into a little more of that in FOMO Friday. But it's gonna be a good solid weekend, Phil. I think it will be. It will be. And I, you know, I, I'm going to make this a good weekend, no matter what happens on the baseball field. But that's obviously going to be a pretty heavy portion of what I've go, got going on uh, with uh, with that. Uh, you know, and now. After at the, at the second day of the NFL draft, now if you're an Arkansas uh, football fan, now you can start to pay attention to see some of the names that uh, that you were cheering for uh, over these last two or, or three years. You mean uh, you weren't on pins and needles last night expecting a Razorback to be called? No, I wasn't. I don't think anybody else was. Um, did you ask Bob Holt if anybody would go yeah, first day? Yeah, and you knew what I was trying to ask. I just right. butchered the end of the question. The question I asked was, hey, Bob, who do you expect to go off first tonight from a Razorback? And I meant to say this weekend because anyone with half an IQ would know that a Razorback was not going to be drafted in the first ra- round in Nashville. There just wasn't enough talent on last year's squad for anyone to be good enough to be drafted in that draft pool. But I'm curious because we've heard differing opinions on who's going to go off first. I think you're with kind of the Armand Watts thinking. We heard um, the guy from Bleacher Report that um, uh, Brent Sebleski earlier this week tell us that he liked Ray Greenlaw's chances to come off. Connor O'Gara and some PFF guys, pro football focus, really like the potential of yell to Froholt. So I'm kind of curious to see which Razorback goes off first. I don't know if there's really 100% this is the guy that you're gonna that's gonna be selected first by an NFL franchise because there's just really not that solid option right now from the Razorbacks draft pool. Yeah, and when I, when I'm I'm looking at, at at I think Watts as somebody that could be a pretty a fairly productive defensive lineman uh, in the NFL and and perhaps one of those picks that you say boy they got a lot of value from that even as a rookie I mean there's something about the way he played last year I'm interested to see what yelled what yelled the Froholt does in the NFL because he seems to you know he's got the size uh, there's strength. Um, I don't know. I think somebody will 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 give will give his name a call as well. Uh, Dre Greenlaw as a, an undersized linebacker, but maybe I mean somebody that played secondary in high school. You think you might 
you might look at him as a safety in the NFL. He can throw it down, too, Phil. I remember my first impressions of Drake Greenlaw was when I was a freshman at the U of A, entering my sophomore summer, and I'm playing basketball at FAC, and there's this kid wearing this FHS practice uniform just playing basketball. And I asked my buddy who went to Fayetteville High School, and I said, who is that kid? And he's like, oh, that's Drake Greenlaw. He's he's going to go to Arkansas soon. And he was just – his athleticism is pretty incredible. And for, for safety, a guy that played safety in high school – uh, you just you like the speed. I just the injuries and the durability of him because he's been injury played yeah, throughout it, his career. It, it's been every season, yeah, hasn't that, it? That's got a concern in NFL GM Phil. Well, so now you can start. But it isn't you know you had Frank Frank Ragnow picked in the first round last year. Uh, so you know you, you kind of knew that that would happen as a, as a Razorback fan. So you were paying attention that first day. I think most people are paying attention because they're going to see a lot of names from the other SEC schools that they've been watching yeah. on Saturdays, and, uh, and and you know everybody seems to be interested in where they're going. You had uh, you, you you were on pins and needles in 2016, thinking Hunter Henry might get a look uh, in the first round, and that that ended up sliding to the second round. But uh, it's it's just not a consistent thing that uh, that we in Arkansas are very used to seeing some of those familiar, more familiar names go in the first round. Uh, so, but but now with uh, with uh, we're thinking you continue to you continue to look at uh, at the, the the recruits that Chad Morris has coming in last year and 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 hopefully what you're seeing coming in at the start of this year. Maybe there's some more of those names that are gonna that are gonna pop up. Give it some time though, right? I mean it's gonna it's gonna be a couple of years until there's a potential first round pick coming out of Arkansas. Uh, so Chad Morris, this is this is somebody that uh, that has uh, helped catapult quite a few players into the NFL in his time, or at least into the draft. Uh, so you, you, you looked up some of the names. We know about Deshaun Watson, of course, and DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, so the, more, more of them after that. You've got a list of them here, Ty. Let's, let's get a look at each of these one at a time, right? Yeah, so Trey Quinn, who's an SMU guy. Cortland Sutton, who's had a pretty productive rookie season for Denver last year. It looks like he's going to uh, continue to get better in the NFL. Sammy Watkins, speedster. He's played a couple different places. The Bills, and then I think he was with the Rams a little bit. I, I, I can't remember the team he was playing for last year. But those are just some of the offensive weapons that Chad Morris had at Clemson and had at SMU that helped produce. And I don't think you and I would disagree on the fact that Chad Morris, his guys are going to be the offense ones. He's not going to vastly impact anyone on the defensive side of the football. That's going to be John Chavis. So the question now, and John and Tommy got into a little bit on the morning rush, do you trust Chad Morris to get you in that same category as a Alabama or Mississippi State where they have three first-round guys taken? Mississippi State had three first-rounders taken in this NFL draft, and they kind of underperform concerning expectations for this year's ball club. But I'm curious for the people listening right now, and you can get on the conversation, 877-377-6963, is what do you think about Chad Morris's in terms of him developing guys to get to the NFL, specifically first-rounders? Well, what about... What about John Chavis? If you bring up the if, you, he, if he's responsible for the other side of the football, and it's good to see him back. I, I think for a second year uh, to keep a little consistency with the coaching staff and to keep that kind of uh, expertise around. Uh, I I had no idea that he's seen one of his players now taken in twenty two consecutive NFL drafts, with the exception of this this ball club. Well, I mean, it'll, it, I think it'll happen. I think it'll be twenty three. Yeah. I think I think you'll see. 
a couple defenders go. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Maybe Dre. Maybe they're a little nervous about the the the, the, the injuries, like you've talked about. Ryan Pulley, perhaps. I do think Armand Watts will go in the draft. I don't know if it'll be today. Uh, how many rounds go in today? And it's, then, and it's pretty much a three day event. So then it cl- it clears into into the weekend, isn't it? You would ask me that. I think it's two and three today, is yes. it, and then the rest the rest of the weekend. I'm sorry. And, and then all the other picks after that are no longer events. You know, it's it's like the every each first round pick feels like a, a mini industry. The second the second round pick still has that event feel to it. Each last each one of them, and then after that, you start to then it becomes more like the more like the baseball draft used to be, where they just called in to one uh, teleconference number and just announced names. You know, pretty much one at a time over over a four hour period. It's not you're not going to see the crowd that you saw last night in Nashville. There there's just not going to be as many people out there to watch whose name is called because it's simply not as important. And this is where you hear a lot of times that the coaches and the general managers really rely on their scouts. They feel like they have a good feel on the the first three rounds, even the first two rounds. But once it gets to the nitty-gritty, the the rounds that you really have to be paying attention for those those luck guys, the, the the steals of the draft, if you will, that's when they kind of pass over their the reins, if you will, to the their scouts and kind of lesser people on the totem pole in the in the organizations. Phil, yes, I think I think John Chavis will will make it twenty three straight years with a defensive player drafted. Uh, I think it'd be a I think it'd be a big surprise if if Armand Watts is not drafted. He's to me he's like the he's the one that I definitely expect. To go in the draft, I think I'd put I'd put Yelta Froholt after him. I still think Fro, Froholt will go, but after that, I don't think that there are any guarantees. So you think about some of the studs that John Chavis has had on his side of the football, whether it's Patrick Peterson, who was incredible at LSU and is a standout corner for the Cardinals for quite some time, Miles Garrett, number one pick for the Cleveland Browns, Morris Claiborne, who hasn't fared as well as the NFL as many would have liked, but he was. An incredible cornerback for LSU, along with his teammate Tyron Matthew. I mean, he's had some studs come through. Fifteen first rounders through John Chavis as an SEC defensive corner coordinator. Fifteen. Now I don't know if he'll get a first rounder from Arkansas anytime soon, but that should like if you are confident, if you're hoping that Arkansas can get guys to the NFL to make it more attractable for recruits, it seems like based on the coaches you have in place right now with John Chavis, who's had success wherever he's been in terms of draft and just his defenses most of the time. And then with Chad Morris as an upstart young guy who hasn't been in college football that long with some of the players he's played in the NFL, it seems like him and Deshaun have a really good relationship where they're always conversing and talking on social media and then back and forth in real life. You hope that that can kind of transition to the current players and the future players you get on this roster. You know, if it, part of the conversation we've had about the hiring of Eric Musselman as the head coach at Arkansas for basketball is is his connection to the professional game. And it's a different sort of connection than we're talking about right now because we're talking about coaches who've had very long careers in the college game, in, in John Chavis specifically. And I still feel like, you know, Chad Morris is... 
uh, I wouldn't say he's new to college football, but, uh, you know, he had that history as a high school coach first, and and that took hold for a long time. Um, But, you know, as a college coach, certainly at the previous two stops, he just even brought up some names that are highly recognizable to NFL fans. Uh, You you get the same thing with with Dave Van Horn and, and, and the baseball program with all of the professional players and major league players that are currently uh, holding jobs down for major league teams and they you know you can promote that you know if you're talking about marketing like we did yesterday to your to uh, to your to your players that you're trying to get into the program we've got we've got the track record of that success sending players to the big leagues to the NFL you don't necessarily have that as far as as far as Eric Musselman is concerned not to say that he can't be one of those coaches who gets a lot of talent from high school to Arkansas and then to the NBA. But the way that we're connecting him to the professional game is this is a guy who's already coached in the NBA and coached professional basketball and developed players that are a little more mature, both in body and in mind, and has been able to put that, I think, been able to put that uh, that experience to use in a, in a way where you can communicate to the look. I know what it takes or have seen what it takes for these athletes to get to the NBA and I can help you get there. You just don't have that, that track record yet. And here's another thought about this. You're in, you're in the SEC and, and now in, in, in football, this is the number one NFL factory as far as talent is concerned. I don't remember the, the percentages, but there are more NFL players that are coming out of the SEC than any other conference in in the country, and it isn't even close. Oh, it's a bl- it's a bl- it's been a blowout since two thousand five. It's the same with baseball. It maybe even more of a heavy percentage of the major league players that are Americans and played college baseball uh, come out of the SEC. Uh, you're, you're not at that level in the NBA, but from what we've seen, really talent wise, in the last two three years, and the coaches that are here now there's going to be more of a pipeline from the SEC to the NBA. So, I mean, we can, we can say, I mean, look how many years John Chavis has had players drafted. Look how many players Chad Morris has had, has, has had drafted. Um, but so does everybody else. Yeah. Every, almost everybody else in this league does too. So Include, it's, go ahead, sorry. I'm just, so, so it's not, I mean, it, it does make you special as a coach to be able to send players to the next level where they have success. But does it really set you apart from anybody else in this league that you're competing against? Still, it's the expectation. You can even look at your former head coach and Brett Bielma, who sent 19 guys in the to the NFL in in the draft. 19, which is not a bad. Now I don't know. I can't measure that up against the other schools at that time period. But you just hear that number right off the bat in five years. It's almost. I mean, that's almost four, four guys. It's quick math in my head. That's almost that's almost four guys. Here we are trying to do math on the air again, like yesterday, <laughs> like the Wonder Lake test. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's almost four guys a year. I mean, that's not a bad. That doesn't seem like a bad number. I, I, again, I don't know the comparative statistics if you compare that to other schools in the SEC, even the SEC West for that matter, because we know the talent that's come through. But it's the expectation of this conference, Phil. It's the expectation of college football now. And when you're competing in not only the toughest conference, but the toughest division in college football, you got to stand out and saying, oh, we put guys in the draft. Well, so does Nick Saban. Mm-hmm. So does Joe Moorhead. So does Ed, or so does Ed Ogeron. Everyone, man. Everybody in this league. Which does. is so tough. You got to. And Mullen. You feel for Chad Morris, but it's like, you can't really use that as a bargaining chip because it ain't really one, man. 
Yeah, I mean, you're going. It's it's like the, there, there's a certain level of player that theoretically should be looking at the SEC, nonetheless. And then you you whittle it down. It was just look at all the five star players that that are that are that are playing over at Auburn, at Alabama, at Texas A and M, at LSU. And so Arkansas may end up with more, more four stars than they've ever had before, but they still don't have the the five stars you know and it's just this goes back to the same conversation that we had around around signing day of yes you were ranked really high as far as your recruiting class is concerned but For you're you. still in like fifth or sixth yeah. place in the in the in the division you play in so uh, it's 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 almost like it's the same conversation you can get players from arkansas to the nfl and theoretically it would make sense that the more professional uh, caliber players you have on a college team, the more games you're going to win. It doesn't always work out that way. Like you're saying, just ask Mississippi State. Um, but it's it's all a matter of who, who it is you're competing against. And think of another thing that you have going for you as an Arkansas fan. We've talked about how Eric Musselman is, has the NBA background, is going to try and play the NBA game that's really been heightened since Steph Curry came in the league. You've seen a couple other teams kind of play that pace in space, have a lot of different guys that can shoot. He's trying to establish that, so that's attractive. Well, if you look at where the NFL is trending, they hire a guy like Cliff Kingsbury out in Arizona. Sean McVay has been really successful out in Los Angeles. Kyle LaFleur Kyle out at Green Bay now, the former uh, Tennessee Titans assistant. You have guys that kind of are innovative offensive guys that really focus on the quarterback position and do different things in that spread type offense. Now, it's not exactly the same in college, but Chad Morris's offense, similar to Eric Musselman's offense that's trending towards the NBA, that's very similar. You can see a lot of similarities there. It looks like, unless something changes in the next couple of years, that you're going to have that same type of thinking with your football program where you have an innovative offensive mind leading it up. What does that do? It allows the players that are learning this system in college not to be blown away when they get to the NFL and they have to understand that playbook. Now, again, you're still going to have a, a level of learning difficulty when you jump from a college football playoff, uh, college football playbook to an NFL playbook. That just happens. But maybe it won't be as severe, and maybe these guys will pick up things quicker under Chad Morris's system because they're going through a tough offensive, tough offensive plays, sets, and just that whole process that goes about with Chad Morris. To that theme, it's, it's kind of on the same theme that we ended yesterday's show on. Do you think it would matter if any incoming Arkansas players took the Wonderlick test? If it's a matter of, just like what you're talking about, you're supposed to be able to react quickly in the offense and, and remember, you know, all of the variables that go into the to the routes that you got to run. Uh, if it works for the NFL teams, theoretically, and everybody takes the Wonderlick test, why not have them take the same, the same test when you're deciding whether or not you want them to show up on campus here. You know, they take enough ACTs and SATs and standardized tests, and obviously they're grades to worry about, but why not have them take a wonder lick at the same time? Quick PTI correction, Matt LaFour, not, not Kyle LaFour, but yeah, on that note, you remember in Miracle... The, you want me to take your test? You remember Jimmy Craig asking Herb Brooks and like, uh, and I, lo- like I love your attempt at the at the Northeast it was, accent. It's, well done. It's horrendous. You 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 can probably do it a lot better being from closer up there. But I think the the idea that you have to take an aptitude test, a wonder like whatever whatever degree of test, whatever type of test you're talking about, it's it comes down to do you know football or you don't like. And I talked about this yesterday. I know some athletes, like personally, that are dumb as rocks when it comes to anything off the field, off the gridiron, off the court. But when it comes to their on-the-field talent and their on-the-field acumen and their on-the-court acumen, they're brilliant. 
they have high basketball, high football, high baseball IQ. That's just part of it sometimes. It's weird. It, it doesn't make sense when you look at certain athletes to say, how are you this smart on the field and this dumb off it? And again, I'm not putting a blanket statement over athletes. I'm just saying I know some personally that are like that. I, I, I don't take I know much some people value. in radio like that too. Exactly. You and me both, buddy. Uh, I just don't take much value kind of like we had with a couple other people on this week with the Wonder League. And it, it seems like you don't really care about it either, especially after our scores after yesterday. I, I, just, I don't know. I just uh, Maybe it's a little diff- different when you're doing it live on radio yeah. and with a computer right in front of you. A lot more pressure, man. Like we're having to read out this stuff. We're not solely focused on it. I think if we took it just by ourselves in a quiet room, we'd get a, hot, a lot higher score. But then again... We could get a lot lower score, too. Phil. I feel like we were on, under more pressure than any athlete would have been. You know, they don't have to worry about sponsors. They don't have to worry about listeners turning off uh, turning off shows, going to something else. And just but, to recap our score yesterday, Phil got in the 14th percentile with 12 points. I was in the, the 12th percentile with 10 points. So Phil beat me, and he's clearly the smarter of us. Because your age, obviously. It, wisdom comes with age, comes with wisdom, right? It's all about experience. That's right. That, that, that leads you the ability to forget more than anybody else. Younger than you has learned, and I think that's the level I'm on. I'm on with you right now. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Phil Elson PXP and at Ty Sports Radio. And it's Joe Adams with a hurdle. Great speed, Adams down the sideline. He's gone. 92 yards for a touchdown. One, one person will be in, in, in attendance this weekend, along with a lot of other former Razorback greats, part of a reunion for the 1979 and 2009 College World Series teams. And it's Johnny Ray, former Arkansas second baseman, longtime major leaguer, and uh, really appreciate him joining us. Johnny, thanks so much for your time. How are you doing today? Oh, just fine. Outstanding. Are you? Uh, you're coming up to Fayetteville tonight. Are you? Are you here for the entire series? Or are you here just for the uh, for the reunion and the game tomorrow? Actually, I'll be there for the reunion and the game tomorrow. You know, I have relatives that are in the high school playoffs here at home, so I promised them I'd show up today and watch them play. So I'm kind of committed today, but I'll be there in the morning. Well, and I know you you still pay close attention to Arkansas baseball. You you make it to games each year. I had a chance to meet you in a suite. Uh, last season, um, and and so you keep you keep pretty close tabs on on what's going on here at Arkansas. And this this looks like another team that that could make it to Omaha, just like last year. You were you were part of the first team that ever got there to Omaha from Arkansas. So before I ask you what it was like to play in Omaha and and that season, you played for Norm's team in 1978, one year before you get to the College World Series. Why did you choose Arkansas? What was it about Arkansas? Because it wasn't necessarily a program that was on the map, so to speak. Well, you know, I to think back then, you know, I had a few other offers from other colleges, you know, in my area here. But, you know, once Coach O'Brien came to one of my, my college, junior college games, and I liked his passion and I liked how he really wanted act like he wanted me come over to Arkansas, and then when I went and visited the campus, me and my mother, I just made a decision It felt like it was the right place to be, and it turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made. 
What was Norm like as a coach? I talked with Bubba about this. We, we've had Norm on the – did you hear that laugh there, Todd? We had Norm on the air. In fact, he was our first uh, guest for the Supercuts Baseball Spotlight, and he is such a friendly, um, wonderful gentleman to be around. But we hear some stories about how, how he was as a coach. What was it like to play for Norm in his early days as a coach? Well, I, I wasn't one of the versatile players on the team at the time, but, you know, he was intimidating. You know, he could he could come out on those days, and especially if he had a bad game the day before, and really kind of light us up a little bit and tell us we weren't playing up to his capabilities or ours. And you know, we went out and tried to do those things the following game. So yeah, it was it was an experience. But as you know, like anything else, as years go by, Coach Brian is probably one of my best friends, and I'm very close, and I really enjoyed him and his family. I think I think he's told me if you guys go on uh, on hunting trips together, right, to North Dakota or, or South Dakota, South Dakota, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, it's kind of like an annual event. You know, it's six or seven of us that we play together, and Coach Coaster Brian comes, and we we have a really good time. You know, going up there and the people up there treat us nice, and it's close to where Coach, you know, actually grew up at, and you know, it's it's it, it's just a good time for us to get keep together other than going to, you know, seeing somebody's funeral or whatever. We can get together and have a great time for about a week. Talking with Johnny Ray, former Omaha on that 1979 College World Series team. Johnny, you probably heard the phrase, everyone remembers their first. You guys were the first Arkansas team not only to go to the College World Series, but make it all the way to the College World Series final. How much do you think that 79 team paved the way for this baseball program today? I don't know for sure if it did, but it got people thinking about baseball at, at University of Arkansas seriously back then. You know, we had some great players, and we all came together at, at the right time and, and started playing great baseball then. And actually, I, we were kind of a little disappointed we didn't finish the deal. But you know how it is. When you lose a close ball game at the end of the, end of the year, you always think back maybe a player here or there that could have made a difference and we could have been – you know, standing on a podium with, you know, getting our World Series rings. But, you know, all in all, it was a great experience, great year. You know, I met, I got some good friendships that I have, that I still have to this day, and I'm looking forward to coming back over and seeing some of those players, you know, tomorrow that I haven't seen a lot of them since I left in 79. So, Johnny, you talk about that game, those games against Cal State 4-10. I think game one, you guys lost 13-10, and you guys lost a heartbreaker 2-1 in game two. How often do you think about that series against Cal State Fullerton? Not a whole lot. Like I said, I was fortunate enough to go and play professionally, and I met a lot of those guys when I was playing in the minor leagues and coastal up in the big leagues. But you know, it you know it happened. You know, we had our run, we had a chance to win it. You look at it that way, and just go on from there. Phil, who was the guy that Blaine Knight? pitched again who was on the same team in the minors that was the Oregon State guy yeah Caden Grenier the shortstop for Oregon State that's right they're on the same they're on the same team in the minor leagues less than one year later do you think that I mean Blaine said they don't bring it up ever but that's something that's in the back of a teammate's mind if you know you end up losing a a a really heartbreaking college world series to him yes yeah Uh, don't tell me they may not talk about it I know what with that shortstop there but he's going to try to bring it up because they won but you know when you're there and you're playing it's always going to be in the back of your mind what if and somebody brings it up i'm quite sure it's a bad taste in the arkansas player's mind but you know it's, it's baseball you go on you know johnny i do i do the games with bubba carpenter who, who played in in omaha as well and had four years at arkansas and you know we 
everybody across the state was so into the run that that Arkansas made uh, throughout the tournament and the College World Series last year. And there's the whole thought of, boy, you want to get this program its first national title. And you can separate how everybody else feels from it, fans and media and and then the former players. What, What were the emotions for you like? watching the College World Series and to see how close they came. You know, what, what what did that feel like for you from the highs to the lows? Well, you know, once they, they, they got on that little run that they had from the SEC tournament on into the playoffs, I just felt they were the team to beat. You know, if, you know, once you get on that little run, every game you, you gain momentum, you get, you get more comfortable, you get more confident. And you really think you got a good legitimate shot to win everything. And to come to that close, to not doing it after you know you put all the time and effort and sweat, because a lot of those guys, man, they, they had great they had great tournaments. They had great regionals. They had great, you know, tournaments. And, and to get to that point and not get it done, yeah, it's very, dis- it's very you know, dis- I, I put it this way, it's disappointing. And uh, you're always going to think about it. I don't care who you are, you're human nature, you're going to think about it how close we had to, to, to being something special. Johnny Ray joining us here on Halftime, former Arkansas second baseman, played for the Pittsburgh Pirates and the California Angels. He was an American League All-Star in 1988. Uh, Johnny, when you look at the 79 season, you guys struggled against Texas, lost to them four times, twice in the regular season in a three-game series in Fayetteville, and then lost to them twice in the Southwest Conference Tournament in their own ballpark, admittedly, in Austin. But you guys got revenge against them in Omaha, and that's one area where last year's team and, and your your team in 79 had, had some similarities, defeating the Longhorns in Omaha. What 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 was everybody here in Arkansas knows what it means when Arkansas plays against Texas in any sport. But that to me seems like that would have been for everything that Norm had to deal with from the way that Texas would view Arkansas baseball wise. That win in Omaha just had to have such big meaning to it. Oh, it did. You know, you know when I came over to Arkansas, I didn't understand about rivalries, but all you know the talk was when Texas week. Texas week. This is this this is the week we got to play well. We got to do things, and you know how it is. You get that stigma that always something bad seems to happen when we play Texas. And then, of course, during the regular season in '79, you know, we like I said, they beat us pretty good on a few games. And you know, you got to where you were fortunate enough to get to the playoffs because you know, of course, they had to be a conference conference tournament down in Texas, and they beat us down there. But once we got past that and went to a you know, Florida State down in Tallahassee and played Florida at their campus, you know, we got on a roll. Like I told you, you get on a roll, you get confidence, and, and from then on, we just took off. Ty, when you look at the, the kind of talent that was on campus at Arkansas, not just in baseball, but all the sports in this year that we're speaking of, 1979. I mean, we had Sidney Moncrief on with us, mm-hmm. basketball mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. He was here at 79. Dan Hampton. Fourth overall pick, 1979 draft. Mm -hmm. Johnny Ray, Kevin McReynolds on the baseball team, uh, both had very successful major league careers. Johnny, what... I don't know how often you guys would bump into each other on campus. I'm sure you did because the facilities were so tightly packed together. The, the the talent level for athletes on this campus then, I think rivals where it is now or really maybe at any other time. It really was. Now, now, like I said, I was very fortunate to, to get a chance to go over there and play and to be a, around all that, 
you know, greatness, I consider it, because, you know, those guys are great athletes and the success they had over Arkansas, you know, it was just it was just one of those things you love to be a part. And it just it just added to the uh the uh I guess stigma about how people felt about Arkansas sports then. Because you were you when you're competitive in everything, you know, every every part of the year, either it's football or basketball, even baseball, you know they're gonna be good and you wanna support them. The fans did the same for us. So yeah, it was a great time. Johnny Ray, kind enough to join us on our Supercuts Baseball Spotlight. Johnny, I know you you were there back in the late 70s, early 80s. I graduated from Arkansas in 2017. It seems like the campus itself has changed drastically in the two years since I've been gone. The student media center in the, the journalism department that I've graduated amongst other things. How much has campus changed since you've been gone back in, way back then? Oh, wow. It's astronomical. I mean, it's one of the, I guess, God, one of the best campuses around now. I mean, every time I go over every year, it's like some building or something else coming up, and the facilities are state of the art. You know, they're they're top notch and everything. The football stadium is back when I played. It was just like a big high school football stadium. You know, one side and the other side, and north and east side, north and south side was wide open, and they had the big halls up there. If the wind got in a certain direction, you could smell him. <laughs> And of course, you know, Bud Walton and Bud, you know, I mean, not Bud Walton, but yeah, the uh, Barn Hill was a great place, great atmosphere to play basketball. And, you know, we didn't have the facilities or the other capacities that they have in the new one. And, but it was, it was great to be around. And of course, our baseball field, being AstroTurf at that time, you know, that was a big deal for us. You know, we could play baseball when the weather wasn't particularly great, but, you know, we, we had a chance to play a lot more games. So it, it was okay, but now it's just, it's off. It's unbelievable. Obi. Yeah, it was a pretty fun school to go to the past couple of years. Johnny, you're coming back this weekend because they're honoring the 79 team and the 2009 team. How do you think the Arkansas Athletic Department does as a whole when it comes to welcoming former athletes back on campus? You know what? I, it, it's it's nice to be recognized and everything. I, you, know, I, you know, I have some ideas, you know, about how things can can be maybe a little better, but like I said, I won't go into them, but, you know, they, they, they treat your as athletes, athletes very well and keep them recognized and make sure that everybody knows who they are and everything. And as, from that standpoint, it's pretty nice. You know, like I said, these new stadiums that are coming up from different, you know, colleges and everything, they really support the, their alumni, and, and Arkansas does that too. So I want to see it continue to go upward with that, in that capacity when it comes to having those players over there. You know, Ty, Johnny Ray played second base for the Pirates when I, when I was learning about baseball. The, he, I, I view him as one of the reasons why I'm as into baseball as as I am. And he also played with the guy who who was my fa- my first favorite player in baseball was Willie Stargell, Hall of Fame first baseman for the Pirates. You were with him for a couple of years when he retired, 1982, I believe it was. What was it like playing mm-hmm. with Willie Stargell? I tell you what, I was very fortunate, to be honest, with the break-in with an organization that had success in 79 when they'd won it. And a lot of those per- people that were there were still there, but they, you know, passed their primes, whatever, but they were still there to monitor and, and mentor me. And they taught me a lot of things, other things other than baseball. And I really am glad that I was a part of all that. You know, a lot of those players that are no longer here right now. Bill Robinson was one of them, of course, Dave Parker, and then there's, you know, Pops, Willie Stargell, 
John Candelaria. They all taught me about baseball, about the game, and about things other than the baseball. You know, we'd, we'd sit down and have conversations about that, and it really helped me develop me to know to be consistent and to stay in the league as long as I did. The last thing I'll leave you with here, Norm has talked about what the surface was like at George Coalfield, especially <laughs> when the pad went away. And I remember I remember watching baseball at Three Rivers, and you played in the era of AstroTurf. How did you play almost 1,400 games on that playing surface? Because it just seems that it, that would be difficult to do. Well, you know what? I, I didn't really think about it. You know, you're young, you, you're energetic, you love just playing the game. You didn't care if you played on box of rock as long as you were out there playing and try to compete, but uh, I know for a fact that you know different players would come back and complain about how playing on that pounding you know, on that ass turf, and of course it wasn't it wasn't top notch. You know, when the, those Zamboni machines would come and scrape the water off of it, had you know hard spots in it, soft spots in it, and sometimes a lot of players have a tendency to probably have knee surgeries because of the pounding they take on it. But now you know with this certain certain turf they got turf they got going on now. It saves the players' bodies and their knees and everything a lot better. So, but back then, it was really tough. You're awesome to come on with us, Johnny. Really appreciate it. Hope I get it. Well, I know I'll see you tomorrow at the banquet. So, looking forward to seeing you again. Thanks so much. Sure. No problem. Like the halftime pod? Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.